Well, good morning, Springbrook. Welcome in for worship this morning. We are so delighted to be with you today on this beautiful summer morning. If you're joining us online during our 9 o'clock service, we have online hosts who are available for you all throughout the service. They would just love to answer any questions you have. They would love to pray for you. So you can use that request prayer button to go into a one-on-one chat. I encourage you to participate in the chat throughout the service. If you haven't made a profile yet, it's really easy to do. We encourage you to do that because we want to know that you're with us. And we want you to feel connected to what the Lord is doing here. So please participate throughout the service as you feel led. Well, I'd love to invite you now to stand as you are able in body or in spirit for our call to worship, which comes from John chapter 7. And in John 7, Jesus stands up and cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. When they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. In Christ, we are promised the Holy Spirit who gives us rivers of living water. Let's lift up our voices together this morning, singing praises to our King who is worthy to receive it. We've waited for this day. We're gathered in your name, calling out to you. Your glory like a fire, awakening desire will burn our hearts with truth. Your love is we're here. Your love is we're singing. Show us your glory, show us, 
morning we're going to enter into a short time of confession and this invitation into the confession of our sin is not an invitation into shame or condemnation but actually as the Lord draws us to repentance with his kindness it's an invitation into freedom and we're promised in scripture that God's mercies are new every morning we're promised that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So as we come to confess, it is to step into freedom that he's already given us, into mercies that he is already pouring out. This short prayer that we're going to read together today comes from the Book of Common Prayer, which is a resource that dates back to the 1500s. It is a beautiful resource that has been used largely by our Anglican brothers and sisters, but it's finding greater and greater use by contemplative believers of all walks of faith. And so I'm going to read this prayer of confession over us. And I encourage you to read it aloud with me if you are comfortable. And if not, just pray in your heart a prayer of confession to the Lord, knowing that his mercies in Christ are guaranteed for you this morning. Let's pray this together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name. Amen.
Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise Him, for He is thy help and salvation. And all ye who hear, now to His temple draw near. Praise Him in glad
before the Lord together in prayer this morning. Hallelujah. Father, praise your name. We pray above all things that your name would be magnified in this place today. Will your name be magnified in our hearts? Your name be magnified in our lives. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty. You are so worthy. You are so holy. You are so far above what we can wrap our minds around. And yet you condescended. You came down to us. You sent your son that we might actually, literally know the God of the universe and the great love that you have for us through your son who gave his body, which was broken, his blood, which was poured out. We thank you for the cross and the empty grave. We thank you that because of Christ's resurrection and ascension, we can come and we can confess our sin to you knowing that we are already forgiven in Christ. We can come into this place with whatever burdens we are bearing and we can lay them down at your feet. Jesus, we love your presence. Jesus, we thank you for your words where you told us that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. Holy Spirit, for those in this room who feel weighed down and burdened today, Will you give us a sense of your nearness to us? Will you invite us to lay those burdens down before you? Will you invite us to throw off anything that might hinder us this morning from being open to hear what you have for us? God, before time began, you had today in mind. You knew who would be in this room. You knew what words you had for them. And so we pray that we would be awake to you, that our eyes would be wide open, our hearts tender and receptive to what you have for us in your good and perfect word today. God, be magnified in us, we pray. All of these things in Christ's matchless and perfect and precious and beautiful name. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, good morning, Springbrook. Uh, my name is Andy Suarez. I am one of the elders here, and I'm excited to see all your faces. Uh, so thanks for coming here today and worshiping with us. Um, thank you for coming and joining online with us today. Uh, if you're online with us, you'll notice that um, in the top right-hand corner, I think it is, of the, of the browser, there's a connection card. If you're in person with us on the row that you're sitting in, uh, there is a white slip of paper. That's our connection card. Uh, feel free to share with us any information, as much information as you feel comfortable with about you and where you are, and um, let us know if there's anything that we talk about today that you want more information on. We can follow up with you on that, and as always, we are a church of prayer. Uh, we'd love to have your prayer requests, uh, whether they're prayer requests or their praises. Uh, we'd love to uh, hear about them and be able to pray for them. Um, we have several events that are coming up. Um, first is our two-week Zoom workshop. We're doing a starting point workshop. If you've been with us, uh, if, you, if you've just been with us for a little bit, and maybe you want to know a little bit more about Springbrook, um, or maybe you've, been join, maybe you've been joining us here for quite some time now, and you want to learn more about, uh, more about Springbrook, or maybe where you can get, uh, where you can jump in and start doing things here, um, starting point is a great class for that. We go over kind of the history of Springbrook, what's going on here. We talk more about some of the programs that are going on and some of the ministries that we have. It's a Zoom workshop, and it's two weeks long and starts on August 3rd. 
you can sign up at springbrook.org connect. Uh, our next workshop that we have is our How to Study the Bible workshop. This is an eight-week workshop. Uh, it's great to read the Bible. We rely on the Holy Spirit to kind of discern what the Bible is telling us and what it has for our lives. Uh, but it is good to kind of have an idea on maybe how you should go about doing that. Uh, and that's what this How to Study the Bible workshop is. It's an eight-week workshop, and that's starting on August 8th. And you can register for that at springbrook.org Bible. And our third workshop that we have is our spiritual gift workshop which is starting up on August 17th. And so if you've been a Christian for a little bit, or maybe a small bit, uh, you might be curious about what kind of spiritual gifts you might have. This spiritual gift class kind of goes through what spiritual gifts are, what some of them are, and has a bunch of different questions and kind of questionnaire kind of things to kind of help you to understand how God may have gifted you. And some of them might be very obvious, and some of them might be a little less obvious, but it's a great class to go through uh, to kind of get in tune with that and know what kind of gifts you might have. Um, we have our worship team auditions. If God has gifted you with musical talent, whether it's vocal or whether it's playing an instrument, uh, this is for you. So we have auditions coming up on Saturday, August 20th. You can register for that at springwork.org slash auditions. I didn't ask Bethany, but I would assume that if you can't make Saturday and you do want to join in with our worship team, that probably still register there and then Bethany will contact you and you can get more information about that and maybe schedule a different time or something. Um, so I know that she would probably still like to talk to you regardless. Um, and last but not least, our Springbrook app. If you just send a text, uh, if you text the word Springbrook, rather, Springbrook app to 77977, you'll get our app. And all the things, th- things we talked about today are in that app. So if you just open up the app and click on calendar, it has all of our different events listed. You can register right there uh, and get all of the good information. You can listen to this service online. You can do lots of fun things in the app. So if you don't have that already, you might want to get that. Um, Pastor Tim's going to be out in just a moment. Enjoy the service. Throughout our lives, we find ourselves on a regular basis at what what we might call a set of crossroads. We face all sorts of different crossroads. Oftentimes, the, the sort of decisions that we need to make, should I go this way or should I go this way? Should I pursue this career? Because if I choose this career, then that means by the very nature of that decision that I am not choosing this career? Should I marry this person? Should I pursue this goal or should I pursue that goal? There are all manner of times in which we find ourselves at crossroads in our life, but um, there's one set of crossroads that we probably find ourselves returning to perhaps all too often. And if I'm honest with you, this is one that I 
regularly find myself at. It's the crossroads of what we might call faith and fear. Faith and fear are two opposite directions. Uh, Faith and fear are two diametrically opposed decisions. If you're walking the journey of faith, it's not that, 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 that you may not have some trepidation in doing it. But there is a a boldness and a determination with which we take that path. But if we are walking the, the path of fear, then we are walking away from the path of faith. This morning, I want us to spend a little bit of time thinking about this crossroads. How it is that we keep on finding ourselves returning there. But I want us to take comfort in the knowledge of the fact that we are not the only people who face this kind of struggle. In fact, we certainly aren't the first to face it. There's a man by the name of Abraham. We're going to be introduced to him this morning uh, by the name of Abraham. But he is throughout the pages of the Old Testament and the New, heralded and held up as one of the great heroes of the faith. And yet, nevertheless, he is a man who constantly oscillated between faith and fear. Despite the fact that he is held forth as one of the greatest examples of faithfulness and that God powerfully and mightily used him, he knew what it was to find himself driven by fear, to walk in the opposite direction from the faith that he desired to pursue in his heart. So if you've got a copy of the Scriptures with you, I want to invite you to join me there this morning. This morning we're uh, going to be kicking off this five-week series as we travel together and we're going to examine some of the different episodes uh, through the life of Abraham over these next five weeks. Uh, learning from his example what it is to live for the glory of God. But this morning we're in Genesis in chapter 12. Genesis, the first book of the Bible, chapter 12. And there we find these words. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all of the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was Uh, was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abraham took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Marah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. 
So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord, and he called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. So here we're introduced to this man by the name of Abraham. Uh, in fact, we were introduced to just a few verses before, at the end of chapter 11 of the book of Genesis, we have a little bit of a genealogy that first introduces us to this man. And here in Genesis chapter 12, we see that God calls this guy, Abraham, to do something unexpected. And we're reminded of the fact that God invites his people to step out in faith and to trust him to do great things. He invites his people to step out in faith and to trust him to do great things. Here we see God calling Abraham to leave everything that he had known and to obey and to trust where God leads. We see that as he explains, you are to go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to the land that I will show to you. Now, uh, we don't actually know how much Abraham knew about God. Abraham lived around about 2000 BC. So what's that about? A little over 4,000 years ago now. And, and at the time that Abraham lived, none of the Bible had been written. So he, he didn't have anything that we have in this book. So we don't know exactly how the Lord called Abraham, we don't know exactly what Abraham knew about God. He had come through something of a, a, a godly lineage. So, so uh, some of uh, what we read about in the book of Genesis up to this point, Adam and Eve and how they, uh, uh, how they uh, rebelled against God and, and were cast out of the Garden of Eden, how sin corrupted uh, uh, humanity and, and, and how it kind of came to a head and, and God sent the flood, but he rescued Noah and his sons through that. And in a sense, there was kind of like a, a do-over with Noah's family. But even then, how people uh, continued to rebel against God, even seeking to, to, to glorify themselves rather than God by building this great tower, this Tower of Babel, and how God dispersed the peoples, confusing the languages. And here we see... This man receiving a call not to be dispersed in the way that those who had been rebellious and sinned against God have done, but rather with an intentional call, get up, leave your home, and go to the place that I'm sending you. And God not only gives this instruction, but he gives an incredible set of promises here. He says, I will make you a great nation... More than that, I, I, I will make you uh, in such a way to be blessed that those who bless you will be blessed and those who curse you will be, will be cursed. And in fact, all of the nations, all of the people of the earth will be blessed through you. And when you think about that, it's a pretty incredible promise. In fact, not only is God 
telling Abraham that, that he would become the father of a great nation, which is ultimately pointing to the people of Israel, as we'll see unfold in the rest of the book of Genesis. But more than that, he's pointing to something still greater. He's pointing even here to the fact that from Abraham's offspring will come one who will be a blessing to all people. He's pointing to the promise being fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ who will come through the line and lineage of Abraham. So God is making a call, but he is also presenting this incredible set of promises. And, and so we're, we're left at first asking the question, well, what's Abraham going to do with this? Would he abandon his own home, his own land, in favor of the land that God is offering? Would he leave his own family in favor of the, the family that God is promising? Now, of course, we've just read the passage. We know that he does step out, but this was an incredible call because just a few verses earlier at the end of chapter 11, in that genealogy, that little bit of a background to Abraham's family, we were told something that's really important. We were told something about Abraham's wife. Her name was Sarai. And in chapter 11, verse 30, it simply says, Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. So Abraham's wife, is incapable of bearing a child. And yet God says, if you go out from here to the land that I'm leading you, the land that you've never been to, the land that you do not know, if you will trust me, then I will make from you a great nation. Now, in order for that to happen, that means that God has to give him offspring. And so without seeing how it is even possible, God says, I want you to step out. And I want you to trust me. And it's not just a matter of the fact that, well, you know, well, God could easily do this. It's the fact that, okay, my wife, we've tried. And she can't have children. And you're saying, God, that you will make for me a great nation? How is that possible? We're going to learn more in the coming weeks about the faithfulness of God's promise. But we're also going to learn that the journey to get there, in a lot of respects, gets even harder. We've been told Abraham at this point is already 75 years old. His wife, Sarai, will learn a little bit later based on uh, what we're told about her age later, at this point, she was 65 years old. Now, yeah, they lived a bit longer back then. 65, no children. I'm not a medical doctor, but there's not good prospects. Yet God says, go. Would he abandon 
his land in favor of the land that God offers? Would he leave his family in favor of the, the, the family that God is promising? Would he set aside the blessing and the inheritance that would have been his as, a, as the eldest son of the family and pursue the blessing and the inheritance that God was setting before him? And we see in this passage that Abraham responds in obedience and in great faith. He gets up, he gathers his family, and they go. And they go to this place they've never been to before, and they travel to this place. They travel into this land that other people are occupying, and they're saying, this is our home. We're told that this is where the Canaanites live. And as he arrives there, God says, look around you. I will give to you this land. And I would imagine he's probably thinking to himself, "Um, okay, I've got a nice little family unit here. I've got my wife. I've got my nephew. We've got some servants. And there's all of these people. God, how's that going to happen? And yet, as he comes into the land to this place at Shechem, he builds an altar there to the Lord. This is one of the first times in the book, in the Bible, that we see someone building an altar and calling upon the name of the Lord. And what he's doing there is he is he's literally staking the claim. And he's saying, God, I am trusting you for what you've said. We see Abraham respond in faith and obedience. Now, it's interesting because, you know, none of us have received a call quite like Abraham. It was a unique call. But still today, God, God is in the business of calling people to step out and to trust him. And to trust him in all sorts of areas. But one of the things that's kind of frightening often when God calls is this. He doesn't just call us to something, just like Abraham. He calls us first to step away from something in order to move towards what it is he's calling us. The very first call that every single one of us needs to make sure that we have responded to, the very first call from God is that call to faith, to put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone for our forgiveness, for our salvation, to reconcile us to God. Because apart from Jesus, it is impossible for us to know God. It is impossible for us to please God. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament says that without faith, and that specifically is faith in in, in Christ Jesus, it is impossible to please God. So this morning, even before we go any further, I would would call you, if you have never responded to the call of God to stop trusting in yourself, to stop playing around with religion, but instead to acknowledge the fact that God loves you. That he sent his son Jesus, not just to be a good moral example to you, but to lay his life down for you because because we were desperately lost and hopeless in our sin and separated from God. 
But now because of what Jesus has done, because he died on the cross, because he rose again, salvation and life is available to you. Don't leave here today without calling out to God and say, God, I want to be a part of that. I want to receive that gift of life that you give through Jesus. But even after we come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, as we walk this journey of faith, God continues to call us to step out and to boldly trust Him. And sometimes in our life, that looks like all sorts of different things. It may be that some of us are sensing a call from God to some form of vocational ministry, maybe to, maybe to missions, maybe to, to, to pastoral work. And you're like, no, no, that kind of feels uncomfortable. I don't know. But, but God is laying that on your heart. It may be that for others, uh, as you and your, your spouse have been talking, as you've been praying, as you've been seeking God together, he's, he's laying on your heart a burden and a call to adopt or to open your home to foster children. And that seems really scary because there's so much unknown in there. But he's calling you to step out in faith and to, and to trust him. Maybe that he's calling some of us to step away from things that are familiar, things that we've kind of put our trust in, things that we have become really comfortable in, and to step into a new season, perhaps in a new place, in a new job. But as I said, just like Abraham, sometimes when God calls us to things, he often calls us away from other things. So it may be that some of us are not responding as Abraham responded because we're looking at the stuff in our life and it's like, I would do that in obedience to you, God, but, but, but it's kind of uncomfortable because it means I've got to step away from this. So, so I'm going to take a hard pass. Because maybe trusting him will mean leaving a home that you love or a job that provides really well for you. Maybe trusting him and responding to his call means breaking off a relationship that is dishonoring to him. Maybe it means laying down a dream that you have been holding on to so tightly because God has a better one for you. Maybe it means stepping away from a sin that you have been trying really hard to justify. Maybe it means putting to death your own self-reliance, your own sense that you can do it on your own if you just work harder. Whatever it is, as we're going to see in this passage, God's promise is good. And when he calls us, he always calls us to something better. So I would simply ask, is there an area of your life right now where God has been speaking to you, where he has been prompting you, where he has been calling you to step out beyond yourself and where you've been holding back? Are you finding yourself at that, that, that crossroads of faith and fear? And whenever you think about what that crossroads might look like, you're kind of leaning toward the fear. and like, I'm going to stay where I am because I don't know, God, if I can trust you with this. Well, here, as we've already seen, Abraham responds in obedience. Sometimes, though, we 
allow the fear of losing what we have or the fear of the unknown to keep us from that obedient step of faith. But then again, at other times, we take that step and we do it with courage. We do it with with boldness. We do it with a sense of confidence in God. God, I believe you for this. You said it. I'm I'm, going to do it. But the problem is we take that step and almost immediately that we've taken that step, something happens. And it causes us to find ourselves back at that crossroads once again. We're like, this doesn't make sense, God. I did what you said. And now things are tough. Because that's exactly what happened to Abraham. Because as we keep on reading here in Genesis chapter 12, in verse 10, it now says, now there was a famine in the land. Oh, wait a second, God. You said leave everything. And I left. You say, go here, and I went there, and I show up, and there's nothing to eat. What do I do now? What have you done? Where have you led me, God? I trusted you. Now, there was a famine in the land, so Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. We're told that twice. It's just a bad famine. So Abraham just says, okay, I know you called me to this land, but um, uh, here's what we're going to do, God. I've got a plan. We're going to go somewhere else. You see, the, the, the thing about the land of Canaan later on becomes the land of Israel is that it was a rain culture. What I mean by that is in order for the crops to grow, they depended on the rain. We understand that, right? But rain's unpredictable. Just ask people out in California. Rain is unpredictable. Egypt, however, had this thing called the Nile River. And the Nile was very predictable. It had flood season. Everything around the river was always irrigated. You could depend on the Nile. And so Abraham's like, okay, so I know you called me here, but I'm going to go over here so I can eat. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, Now, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. This is a good, guys, take a page out of Abraham's book here, okay? Um, Now, I think that this is staggering because, remember, Sarai is 65 years old at this point. Um, uh, And and he he is concerned that everybody in Egypt is going to swoon over his wife. And they do. He says, I know that you're a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. And then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say that you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. And so when, they, when Abraham entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake... He dealt well with Abraham, and he had sheep and oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abraham's wife. So Pharaoh called Abraham and said, what is this that you have done to me? Why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him. 
And they sent him away with his wife and with all that he had. You know, sometimes life's challenges bring us back to that crossroads of faith and fear. Abraham faced this serious crisis that put him back, even after great obedience and great faith, put him back at the crossroads again. And, and as soon as he got back to the crossroads, he chose, chose the path of fear. Abraham's response might have seemed very much like pragmatism on the surface. But what it shows is that he had forgotten or he had misunderstood the call and the promise of God. Because remember, God has promised, I will bless you and I will make you a great nation. That means that you must have offspring. That means that you are not going to die even in the land of famine. That means that, that, that my promise is not going to fail even when you're having a hard time seeing it. And more than that, it means even if you go down to Egypt, even if you think you are going to face danger, in order for my promise to prevail, aren't I able to protect you, Abraham? What we see is that after a moment of great faith, Abraham returns to the path of fear because he struggles to trust God and his promise. But here's the wonderful thing. God is so faithful. God is so faithful. Not only even in going down to Egypt does, does uh, uh, Abraham end up prospering. He gets all these camels and donkeys and stuff. But God will not let his promise be derailed. And we're going to see this again and again over these next couple of weeks. Even though Abraham is quick to give his wife up to try to save his neck, God will not let Sarai, the one through whom the promised child will come, become the wife of another man. Because God's promise is at stake. And so God not only protects Abraham and restores his wife to him, but God demonstrates again that when he says he will do something, that is precisely what he'll do. Now, if we were to study all the way through the book of uh, uh, Genesis and all of the episodes in, in Abraham's life, we'd find out that even though Abraham kind of learns a lesson here, he actually does the same thing again in Genesis chapter 20. And there he again tells them, oh yeah, she's my sister. God is so patient and so gracious. But what we're reminded here as we consider Genesis chapter 12 and this episode in Abraham's life of both faith and fear, is don't forget God's promises. When you find yourself at the crossroads, don't forget who he is when you find yourself there again looking down that sign of faith 
or fear. Because you and I will find ourselves at that crossroads over and over again. Some of us, if we're honest, find ourselves there every single day. But we need to be on guard. We need to be careful, even in those times of great faith, even in those times of great confidence in the Lord, we need to be on guard because it is often on the heels of that that we can face the greatest challenges to our faith, just like Abraham did when he showed up in the land and there was the famine. And so we want to be on guard and we want to understand that when we find ourselves at the crossroads again, we need to examine the truth and we need to remind ourselves of the character of God and what He has promised. Now, I know that none of us have heard God say, I promise directly to you, Tim, I promise that I will do that. No. But we do have in this book, we do have in this word, many promises from God. And what we learn is that all of God's promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. That he is faithful to his promise just as he was to Abraham. So he is faithful to his people. And so we need to, we need to ask ourselves as we remind ourselves of the truth. First of all, what do we believe about God? When we find ourselves tempted to fear, we need to ask, what do I believe about God? Do I believe that he is good? Do do I believe that he is able to deal with the circumstance in my life? Do I have a picture of God that is bigger than this thing that I'm facing down? Is there a promise in the pages of Scripture that I can claim to help me to stand firm in the face of of this thing that is tempting me to fear. We also need to ask the question, what do we believe about ourselves? You know, that may seem like a strange um, a question to ask. But where do we believe that our identity and our value is rooted? Because you see, sometimes when we find ourselves at the crossroads of faith and fear, we go back to the, oh, but if I do that, then that means giving up my authority to be the leader of my life. Well, yeah, that's kind of the idea of following God. Uh, Do we find ourselves in a situation as we're asking, what do I believe about myself, where we have fooled ourselves into pridefully thinking that we have all of the answers, that if we just work hard enough, then we can figure out every problem. That if we stand in front of the mirror and say, I know I can, I know I can, I know I can. Or like the little engine that could, I think I can, I think I can. That maybe we'll be able to do it. Do we have an overinflated sense of our own abilities? Or do we recognize that we are those who are dependent on a merciful God, but that that is a good thing. And what do we believe about others? Because you see, sometimes it is a fear over how others are going to respond to us if we walk that journey of faith that keeps us from doing it. 
do we believe that God is able to work in their lives as well? Do, do we believe that God is able to move the people around and turn the heads and the hearts of the people around us? And so we need to re-examine truth when we find ourselves at those crossroads. Because at the root of fear is always a distorted view of God and of his promise. We fear failure because we often define success differently than God does. We fear loss because we think that God is not able to give us what we think we need. We have this idea of the fact that God is going to give us something less than what we're walking away from. And we fear following God because it means giving up what is known and what we think is controllable in order, in order to set ourselves in that place of dependence upon him. You know, many times as we find ourselves standing at this crossroads of faith and of fear, the path before us seems really difficult. But the path of faith is the one of promise. It's the one of peace, is the one of joy, is the one of reward, whereas the path of fear ultimately just leads to greater bondage and to greater fear. So how do we, how do we move forward? When we consider this faith of Abraham, when we consider, consider God's provision for him, even in the face of his fear, how do we learn to, with greater consistency, when we find ourselves at those crossroads, choose that path of faith, step out and trust God and his promise? There's a few things that we can do. The first is that we need to identify what our fears are. We need to ask the question, why do I fear what I fear? And what is it that I'm fearing? And take that to God. Be honest with him about it. Why do I fear following you in this area? Because I'm afraid that other people are going to laugh at me for doing that. It seems crazy. Well, why, why do I fear following God in this area? Because I cannot see his provision. Whereas where I am right now, I know the circumstances. Take it to God. And say, God, I want to honor you. But here's my fear. Would you so amaze me with your person and your promise that my fears just fall away? And would you lead me by your Holy Spirit so that I can step out in boldness even where I don't see and walk by faith and not by sight? We need to not only identify and confess our fears, we need to consider what God says about our circumstance. If I go that way, God, I don't know. I feel like I'll be walking away from everyone and everything that I know. It's a new place. How can I go where I don't know people? I will never leave you or forsake you. 
I will be with you always, even to the very end of the age. But God, if I step out there, how do I know that, that, that I'll have the provision that I need? Because my God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Because even in a recession or not a recession or a recession or whatever we're not in, God's arm has not grown short. Even in the face of inflation, my God is able to provide according to our needs, according to His riches in Christ Jesus. What has God promised that we can bring to bear in the midst of our circumstance? And as you consider what He's commanded, what He's revealed about His character, that He's faithful, that He's good, that He's kind, that He's merciful, that He sees, that He knows that all of your days are written in His book before one of them ever came to pass. When we consider, is there a promise that we can uh, can claim in the midst of our circumstance? If you don't have an answer for that, keep on going back to His Word. Keep on reading His Word until you can answer that. And then finally... Explore the lies that you're believing about yourself and about others. As you do that, ask God to bring alongside of you other godly believers who you can talk with and who you can pray together with and who you can encourage and be encouraged by as you walk that journey of faith. Because we don't do this in isolation. We get to do this in the midst of community. So wherever you are today or wherever you may be tomorrow, whatever crossroads you might find yourself at, whatever times you may feel like God is calling in this area, but the pull to fear and to stay back from that feels so strong. Don't forget God's promise when you find yourself at the crossroads. Because when you remember who He is, when you consider what He's done, and when you remember that He is faithful always to His good promise, what do we have to fear? What do we have to fear? It's the journey of faith. The journey of faith as we step out in trust of Him is what will lead to that place of joy and delight and freedom. And it's where we find that God does exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. Would you pray with me? Lord, we believe that you are good and that your ways are good. But Lord, would you forgive us for when we doubt your goodness? 
forgive us that we are often quick to forget your promise or perhaps even that we have never taken the time to learn of your promises. And so when we find ourselves, as we often do, at a crossroads between faith and fear, between pursuing your way and staying where we are or shrinking back, we're often tempted to take the comfortable and remain. Lord, I pray that you would give us a holy boldness, that you would give us a faith like Abraham that says, if you call me, I will go. And that even when we do find ourselves facing down that path of fear, that you would guide us, that you would protect us, that you would restore us once again, and that you would show us the splendor of your ways, that with increasingly consistent obedience, that we would pursue you and find the joy that comes from walking by faith with Christ as our guide. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's stand one more time together in body or in spirit and respond together to this word we've received this morning, singing to our God who keeps his promises. Sing this out together. God of Abraham, you're the God of covenant, of faithful promises. Time and time again, you have proven that you do just what you say. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I remain steadfast and then by heart. Speak a word, it will come to pass. Great is, great is your faithfulness to me. Great is your faithfulness to me. God, from age to age, though the earth may pass away. Your word remains the same, yeah. Your history can prove there's nothing you can't do. You're faithful and true. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast. And let my heart learn when you speak a word, it will come to
Thank you so much for worshiping here with us today. It has been a pleasure to be with you. We pray now that you would go in faith to love and serve the Lord. Have a blessed, blessed week in Him, and we will see you next Sunday.